dates March 10th, 2023. Time for episode 211 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I T S U N C L E underscore D U B. Happy Friday, everyone. TGIF. Um, it, I feel like I just finished talking to you not too long ago, but uh, the episode that you got yesterday was actually recorded on Wednesday, and I just didn't have time to push it out. Just, you know, man, managed to find time to record it with a with a sort of not slightly underweather child in the house. And, uh, you know, he was good about, you know, letting dad get a couple things done. So that was finished and I didn't have time to push it out, but you got it, but you get yet another episode from me, the, the typical Friday edition. So let's start in the world of college football today. So a couple of items from college football. So one coaching change and an update on a story we've been following for probably about a couple of years now. Uh, Josh Gaddis. So if you remember, he left Michigan, went to Miami and lasted one season as the offensive coordinator. He was hired by Maryland to be their new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He replaces Dan Enos, who went to Arkansas as offensive coordinator. Uh, if you recall, Gaddis was a 2021 Burroughs Award recipient and Gaddis and head coach Mike Loxley have a relationship. They were both on the staff at Miami in 2018. So we talked about how dynamic uh, these uh, Alabama staffs have been uh, all these coaches who have worked under uh, 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 Nick Saban and they now go off and get these head coaching jobs. And Mike Loxley's doing a really good job in Maryland, um, you know, kind of been a bit of a slow start. I mean, this season went to a bowl game, won the Duke, Duke's Mayo Bowl, um, you know, on the rise. And, you know, I think Maryland is coming around now. Again, I've said this a few times that. For Maryland to really make this interesting, especially from a football standpoint, at what point do you, number one, and this is big, you know, the the in-state recruiting, I'm sure, is probably a priority. But you also have to deal with the fact that you've got Penn State coming in and plucking a lot of guys. So a lot of Penn State guys are coming out of Maryland. So you got to stop that pipeline or at least slow slow it down. Secondly, getting the talent in and coaching them up to finally be to Michigan, be to Ohio State, or in that off year where you don't have to play one of them or neither of them, take full advantage of every game and win uh, all the games you can to kind of put yourself in position for that Big Ten championship. So it's it's kind of a, we, we all know how it works. With football, it's not always as cut and dry as you think. You got a good team, but things happen. So sometimes, even with a good team, another team gets the better view on any given day. That's we know that's the beauty of sports. So that's kind of where they are. But um, Gaddis will share co he will share offensive coordinator duties with uh, Kevin Sumlin, who, as we talked about, was recently uh, hired at Maryland. So that's going to be interesting to see how Gaddis. So he's back in the Big Ten. So it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, offense and how all the pieces will fit together for Maryland uh, and, and Josh Gaddis and his team. All right, let's give you an update. So the Iowa football lawsuit. So we finally have some closure, quote unquote, uh, to this uh, to this lawsuit. So the athletic department will pay a four million dollar settlement. So that settlement will go to about, I believe, 12 players. The state appeals board approved two million dollars of state money. The university will pay the other two million. And on top of that, they'll reimburse the state two million dollars back to the state general fund. So state auditor Rob Sands, so he's a member of the appeals board. He was the only vote against using state money for the settlement. So it was a two to one vote uh, to use state money. Sands, so in his comments, so Sands had a lot to say, and he actually 
made me aware of some things in reading this article. Sands said essentially he wanted athletic director Gary Barta fired and he cited previous discrimination lawsuits during his tenure, which have paid out large settlements. So this isn't the first time Iowa, Iowa athletics has had to pay off a lot, pay out a lot of money. So right now, uh, per the report, under the watch of athletic director Gary Barta, there have been four, count them, four large settlements, and I think this might be the fourth one, that the athletic department has paid out. And these settlements, at least the vast majority of these were paid out by, or or let me see, or reading the article and reading my notes, sounds like there's four that were paid out directly from the athletic department, scratch what I just said. And now here's one where... The athletic department will pay half, the state will pay the other half, and then the state will be reimbursed by the athletic department. So that's really not a good look for this Iowa Iowa uh, athletic department. Um, you know, again, you, you kind of think that these things happen, and you you know don't want to think about them happening. You know, these sorts of things come about, but to have four discrimination lawsuits, I think the most recent was I think a I think a field hockey coach. Uh, a fired field hockey coach fired a disc- um, filed a discrimination lawsuit, but yeah, man, four large settlements as athletic director. And Sand said this. He goes, "What person do you know on a regular everyday job, um, overseas, large scale loss of money like that, and still keep their job?" And he's absolutely right. I mean, if you or I were in charge of something and the company had to keep paying out because of malfeasance yeah we wouldn't be in this job very long probably after the second time this happened you know you'd be out the door but i think the university has essentially backed barter you know he's not going anywhere and you know i don't think i'm terribly surprised i mean if he's been here this long what's gonna what's gonna change okay so four million dollars the plaintiff sought 20 million and the way this is gonna work is 12 players will spit will split about 2.9 million dollars Another two million will go towards legal fees. The university will direct ninety thousand dollars for graduate and professional school tuition for the plaintiff. So each plaintiff will get capped twenty thousand dollars. So they'll get twenty thousand dollars at most. And the university will provide mental health counseling to the plaintiffs through March of next year. So the exact date, fifteen March, twenty twenty four. Um, Kurt Ferentz essentially was disappointed with. This outcome for a number of different reasons. I mean, essentially, his one of his biggest complaints was this makes our at our program look bad. Now you're mad that it makes you look bad after everything has happened, and even having a group of former players come in and help to advise to make the program better and you disband the program because one of them had the audacity to say oh well you need to be fired but now you're working worried about how it looks it's like spare me spare me the tears you had every opportunity to try to fix this because i think he felt that if the lawsuit had gone forward it would have been dismissed with was it with prejudice or without prejudice it would have been dismissed in his view but he felt that it was a bad look for the state attorney general and the plaintiffs lawyers to uh work out a work out an agreement he felt that was a bad look and blah 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 blah. i mean it's like boo hoo hoo again you should have thought about that when this came out the report you know, so there was an investigation he addressed it 
there were, you know, mitigating things that came about. Okay, here's the committee. The committee starts working with you. Then, as we said, one player said, you need to go. It's your time. And he gets an attitude, disbands the committee. Oh, they'll be back. And we all know that that was a lie because it hasn't come back yet. So, again, it is what it is. Now, here's the last part of this. The athletic department must hire Leonard Moore from the University of Texas. So he's uh, from their black studies department. And his job is to oversee the implementation of a five-year diversity, equity, and inclusion plan in the athletic department. So if this is broadly across the athletic department, okay, cool. But I'm I'm we're gonna I'm gonna say it. You're going to meet some resistance. I guarantee it. So it's gonna be a long five years for I believe it's Dr. Moore in implementing this plan um, because so on a personal level, I think. I've you know I talk to people and you know I've experienced this that people go through this thing about oh well we go through this you know diversity equity inclusion you know these seminars and these discussions and and for the record I'm for it now what I will tell people is I am the reason DEI exists okay but here's the thing and trying to have these conversations and trying to get people to understand that, yes, everyone has bias and we have to be more inclusive in our thinking and our words and how we choose our words. People are still going to either be very like, oh, what you're saying, I'm racist. And it's like, that's not what we're saying. We're saying your words are racist, not you. So you could have very good intentions and you may say something that is not sensitive or insensitive. Duh. But people still will take it as you're calling me racist. So that's kind of one uh, stumbling block. The other stumbling block is people who just don't want to hear it. So those people who are those who of the ilk is, well, why do we have to be diverse and why do we have to have diversity or take a little further? Oh, well, if you're saying there has to be diversity, you're discriminating against me. And that is not it. So it's going to be a lot of work to overcome this. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of work wherever you are. I mean, everyone is doing it. I think many, many companies have DEI officers. It's been uh, at the university levels. DEI has been something that's been happening at least for the last, geez, almost almost 20 years. And I'm seeing a lot of institutions implement it now. And I'm kind of going, what have you been doing? Other schools have been doing this since the be- almost the beginning of the century. And you're now jumping on you know, doing DEI and being sensitive and sort of thing. It's just like it for some, it feels like it's something to do in this particular case with Iowa. It's necessary, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is going to be a lot of work to get this done. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm going to be interested to see what comes of this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Anscape has written something about this. I'm curious to get their take on you know, if there's some inside thinking about, you know, what Dr. Moore is going to do or has he talked about this situation or, you know, or what are people saying about this? Because, you know, this is only one little piece. But once you trickle it down from the athletic administration down through the department, I feel like there are going to be some entities, some teams that will take to it. And, you know, you might have a little bit of you know resistance. And then it's kind of like, no, this is kind of more educational this isn't finger pointing or discrimination it's education and you're gonna have folks who are gonna be super 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 resistant to it and from what i've been seeing 
from the football program, I mean, it's it's going to be an uphill climb. So we'll keep an eye on it. And we hear anything, we'll bring it to your attention. Um, let's run through the college lacrosse schedule. So the last couple times I did college lacrosse, I did men. I didn't do the women. I apologize. So we'll get to uh, the women's schedule. A lot of ranked action on the lacrosse side. Today, number six, Loyola of Maryland visits number five, Duke. That game, 7 p.m. on ACC Network Extra. On Saturday, man, a lot of ranked games on Saturday. Number 14, Princeton goes to Rutgers, seventh ranked. Number 19, Denver goes to number 11, Yale. That game, 1130 ESPN+. Um, number eight, Penn State goes to number three, Cornell, noon ESPN+. Number nine, Ohio State visits South Bend to take on number two, Notre Dame. That game at 2 p.m. on ACC Network. Number 18, Villanova rides down the main line to University City, Franklin Field to take on 15th ranked Penn, 330 ESPN+. And here's a ranked versus non-ranked, but a traditional lacrosse matchup. Number 10, Johns Hopkins heads to, was it the JMA Wireless Dome? I think I got it right to take on Syracuse that game, 4 p.m. ACC Network Extra. Uh, tonight on the ladies' side, number 20, USC heads to Princeton to take on the 16th-ranked Tigers, noon ESPN+. Plus. Number four, Stony Brook visits number three, Northwestern. On Saturday, lots of ranked games. We'll start at noon in the Dome again. Number 12, Notre Dame visits number two, Syracuse. Number 23, Hopkins goes to James Madison, who are the eighth-ranked Dukes, to visit the eighth-ranked Dukes. Number 21, Penn goes to Jacksonville, 22nd-ranked, noon ESPN+. Plus. Number 25, Richmond visits number 24, UMass, noon ESPN+. Plus. Number 7, Loyola of Maryland heads to Florida to take on the 10th-ranked Gators, noon ESPN+. Plus. Number 9, Virginia goes to Chapel Hill to take on the top-ranked Tar Heels, 3 p.m. ACC Network Extra. Golf. Here's our first golf report of 2023. And this week, it's the Players' Championship. So it's golf's unofficial fourth uh Fifth major. <laughs> there are four majors. The unofficial fifth major. Currently leading the field is Ben Griffin. He is three under for the day, about to finish his round, I believe. He is eight under. He's tied with Chad Ramey, who will tee off at 107. Uh, and third is Colin Morikawa. Colin will tee off at 1245. And behind him, tied at five under, both on the course, Jason Day, who's three under currently, and Victor Hovland, five under as well. He's two under for the day. Um, there has been some updates on the LIV PGA saga from the legal standpoint, but right now it's a lot of discovery. There's been some legal maneuvering, some counter motions and motions as of now. So I'll have to kind of go see what's the latest and we'll report back to you about next about that next week. Because, again, it's been whoa, it's been a lot. Um, there's been a lot of discovery on the live side. And I think right now from what I've been seeing, it seems like everything that LIV golf has been accusing the PGA of, they're kind of doing a lot of the same stuff. So it's getting a little weird in these streets with LIV, but I, I would be interested to see if this lawsuit even goes anywhere because I mean, both sides, I think, I don't think are uh, absolved of any, of anything really i think they're both kind of in the bad if you want to if you want to put it that way but we'll we'll uh check back in uh with that a, a little bit later the lpga um they're ramped up as well and they're four weeks out from the chevron championship so that's their first major the pga is five weeks out from the Masters. so uh right after i think the week after the national championship in men's basketball then Jim Nance, as we know, this is his last Final Four, 
And as we talked about in Houston, where his broadcasting career started at the University of Houston, he'll head on down to Augusta to call the Masters. And as we said, for college basketball, this is it for him. He'll be still doing golf and I think football, but he won't be doing any more basketball. But uh, I think Iron Eagles taking over for him. All right, college basketball. So with the tournaments going on, so most of your most of your conferences, Power Five and mid majors that are on this week are anywhere from quarterfinal to semifinal mode this week. So we'll go through uh, a number of just some uh, in, some interesting games for last night. We're going not to go through every game. Rutgers beat Michigan last night, sixty-two to fifty in the second round of the Big Ten tournament. Rutgers shot fifty-two percent in the second half. And they shot 29 in the first half. So a big, big improvement for Rutgers. And they get number one seeded Purdue in the quarterfinals. That game on noon on Big Ten Networks. So that game will actually tip off in a couple minutes from now. So if I remember to do so, I'll update the score uh, before we get out of here. Um, Texas, I'm sorry, Ohio State rather, took down Iowa 73-69. They will play Michigan State in the quarterfinals. That game 230 on Big Ten Network. The Big 12 quarterfinals, Iowa State took down Baylor 78-72. They'll play Kansas in the semifinals. That game, 7 p.m. ESPN tonight. Pac-12 quarterfinals, Arizona State took down USC 77-72. They will play Arizona in the semifinals. That game, Pac-12 after dark, 11.30 on ESPN. For the ladies, woo man, the ladies bracket is about to get even more weird. Texas Christian took down Kansas, the 10 seed. So we reported last show that their coach is stepping aside when their season ends. They had an abysmal season. Um, even at some point during the season, during their non-conference, they had a really ugly dust up with George Washington. So a couple players got into a fight. It was a bench clearing brawl. About nine players got ejected. It was just ugly. And it, it's just been ugly for a minute for this team. But they got a big lift. They beat Kansas. 70 uh, 57 52 in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. They'll play Oklahoma in the quarterfinals that game, 6 p.m. on ESPN Plus. Um, let's look at some of the automatic qualifiers for the ladies. So four teams punched their tickets to the, the uh, NCAA tournament from the Big Sky Conference. Sacramento State will make their first appearance. The Mountain West, the Lady Rebels of UNLV. That team last season. They gave Arizona the business, and Arizona just barely escaped uh, winning that game. But they had some shooters last season, so it's interesting to see what UNLV is bringing to the table this year. Representing the Southland Conference will be Southeast Louisiana. This is their first appearance. And representing the American Athletic will be East Carolina, so the Pirates and Kim McNeil and her gang. So uh, she's um, her, her uh, team has been doing really good over the last few years. Um, and they've been kind of on a steady rise. So congratulations to Coach McNeil and East Carolina. Let's go to the Ivy League. So let's look at the Ivy, what we call Ivy Madness. So let's see. We start today. I believe it's today. Yes, yeah, so we'll start today. Uh, Ivy League. Uh, hmm, did I do this wrong? Yes. <laughs> number one, Princeton. So the ladies, number one, Princeton take on Penn, 430 ESPN+. Plus. Number two, Columbia versus number three, Harvard. So first year coach Carrie Moore gets the Crimson into the final four here. 7 p.m. ESPN+. Plus. They'll play their championship uh, Saturday at 5 p.m. on ESPN News. For the men, number one, Yale take on number four, Cornell. This will be tomorrow on ESPNU. Then same channel, 130. Number two, Princeton takes on number three, Penn. 
their championship noon Sunday ESPN two. So Ivy Madness is in full effect. And I actually like the fact that the Ivy League is uh, they're doing this top four tournament. They used to just be like whoever wins the conference, you know, wins the thing. They get the automatic bid. And for a few years before they started doing this, it always came down to the last game of the season. So uh, in the past, it's been like Harvard and Yale. And essentially, you know, I think depending on where the game was, um, it was, you know, a packed house to see whoever wins this game is going to essentially represent the Ivy in the NCAA tournament. So I, I like this format. Kudos to the Ivy League on that for making that happen. Now, speaking of the Ivy League, two basketball players. So this, I think this is going to be the legal episode because this is another lawsuit. So we talked about one ending with Iowa football being settled. I don't think it'll ever really be over per se. Now we got another filing. Two basketball players from Brown are suing the Ivy League in federal court over the conference's longstanding policy of not offering athletic scholarships. Their argument is that by not offering scholarships, the schools, the agreement among the member schools amounts to price fixing. And because of that, it denies proper financial aid to athletes. So the suit was filed this week in uh, district, U.S. District Court in Connecticut on behalf of a current player. Her name is Grace Kirk and Tamarang Cho, who played at Brown from 2017 to 2022. In the suit, they are also seeking class action status to represent all current and former athletes at the eight member schools dating back to those recruited since March of 2019. So let's kind of go through the history here. The Ivy League's policy dates back to 1954. And as a collective, all eight schools do not offer merit scholarships of any kind, including that of athletic scholarships. So they are the only Division I conference with this policy. And instead of scholarships, athletes get need-based financial aid like any other student. Now, the arguments of the plaintiffs. Other elite academic schools, Duke, Stanford, Notre Dame, they offer scholarships. So it's like, how are you guys any different? Their other argument is... Not offering scholarships, the league is artificially suppressing the market for athletes as far as compensation, reimbursement, and in doing so, it increases their cost of education. So let's make no mistake, people. Going to an Ivy League school is extremely expensive. A few years ago, the New York Times did an article. I want to say it was either around, I think it was pre-COVID, if I recall correctly, where they talked, they followed a typical Ivy League student around. Well, I would say typical. They followed an Ivy League student around. So this young lady, I believe she was from New York City, um, you know, went to, you know, very rigorous, rigorous academic high school. Um, she ended up, you know, getting a scholarship to, I, I think it was Columbia or Harvard. I can't remember which school. I think Harvard. I think she got a scholarship to Harvard. But they talked about this idea of, Harvard doesn't give academic scholarships or athletic scholarships, but it's need. These schools are extremely expensive. And they talked about, she talked about her struggles in trying to go to school, pay for everything, 
And I believe she had the work. I think she was doing work study as well. And of course, you got to also think about the academic pressure at a school such a Harvard, such as a Harvard, a Yale, a Columbia is very, very high. So um, she talked about, you know, having to, you know, plan for you know, going home and doing things like that. She had to plan for emergencies. Um, and then, of course, you have to think they're in college. They want to, you know, have a have a social life. And how can you do that? And she also thought about or talked about that her some of her classmates, you know, some of them are fairly well off. I mean, parents either save for them to go to this Ivy League school or they, you know, they're getting certain types of aid, which probably very little because their parents have the means. So there is still even though they're in the same learning environment, there's still a distinct discrepancy in the ability of these students to maneuver the college world. So with that said, it made me think about that and reading the um, kind of the merits of this um, this particular lawsuit. But also I, I thought about this as well. So this policy dates back to around the mid 1950s. So one word entered my mind as I read that exclusivity. So if you think about this, in some ways, although, you know, people would probably say to you that, well, you know, I, and I'm going to be the first person to tell you, I don't know the history of, you know, African-American attendance at in Ivy League schools. I couldn't begin to tell you. I'd have to do some digging. But let's say, you know, around that time or maybe a little bit after you start seeing um, more, you know, black students and athletes attending Ivy League schools. But if you think about it, having this type of policy is very exclusive because let's think about it. Even then, attending an Ivy League school, very prestigious as then as it is now. And, you know, we know the cost of education has gone up tremendously. But these are all, I think, all private schools with maybe a couple of exceptions. Um, but still, with that said, that policy does what it tends to block out certain folks who don't have the means or the resources you know let's read what that is those people of color so those who are black or other minorities it blocks them from at that particular time and to some degree now it does still produce an environment of exclusivity that in today's world you know, we know that there are certain places and certain institutions that are still very exclusive that, you know, uh, black folks have not had the uh, the ability nor the opportunity to enter in such institutions. So I feel like thinking about those two things, the policy is very antiquated. And I'd be interested again in this type of uh in this type of lawsuit, I, I'm, I'm going to try to go find it and read the merits of it. But I'd be interested to see what the discovery and what evidence the Ivy League will present. But I think that if you think of it from that way, at least for me, if you think about it from the standpoint of this exclusivity that has existed for all this time, um, it, it seems fairly discriminatory to me in some ways, but also think about it from the modern lens that what's the big thing in sports now, NIL. So you say, okay, here comes a student who wants to play, 
you know, basketball at an Ivy League school or football. The student is marketable. The student, you know, plays the sport very well, whatever sport they play. And most other students at any other type of school, they would have a scholarship. They would get, you know, compensation NIL money, potentially, if they're, you know, marketable. And in doing so, they have the freedom to have the true college experience because that was the complaint prior to NIL that the kids are getting a scholarship, they're getting, you know, free medical, but they're not getting a return on their name, image, and likeness. So in this situation, they say, okay, the cost of education is very high. So here's a place where it costs a lot of money to go to school. And all we're going to say is, well, we're going to look at your parents' earning potential. And we're going to determine that, you know, if it costs $60,000, I'm going to throw out a number because, like I said, these go look up these tuitions. I'm sure they are beyond ridiculous. I think what University of Chicago, which is not Ivy League school, but probably one of the most expensive private schools in America. Last I checked, I think UC was, oh my goodness, I can't remember. I want to say it was about 55 a year or something ridiculous like that. So let's say you say going to a school like this might cost you 60K a year. Okay, so that's 60K. So somebody coming in as a, as a freshman and they play basketball, they're very good at playing basketball. So they decide I want to go to this Ivy League institution to, because of the of the you know the academics and the experience and what I can be exposed to. But let's say here's their parents and they have decent earning potential, but their earning potential isn't enough to pay a 60k bill every year. So that's what 30,000 a semester. But if they come through and say, "Well, we're going to give you 30k in um 30k in compensation uh you know for you know financial aid rather so that means they're only going to have 15,000 a semester they're still on the hook for so you do 30 so if you say 30,000 they're still on the hook for 30k where does the 30k come from so there you go so th so it so it's really messed up that you're you come in with this athletic ability and you still aren't getting an investment, more or less. In other words, other schools, Stanford, Duke will say, hey, you play the sport really well. We're going to boom. We're going to drop some money in your lap. Here's your scholarship. Here's your opportunity to get NIL money and you're good to go. Go get this education. And for them to do this and been doing this for uh, almost almost 60 plus years, I think is really, really, really sad. Was it seven, about seven, almost 70 years, actually is really really sad and i hope these uh young people um i hope a lot comes out of this because this this i think this this is something and it's weird it's something i thought about the other day i was actually thinking about this and this lawsuit happened so we'll keep our eye on this as we always do and we'll report back uh anything but i have a feeling it's going to be a while for this in, you know hits the courts or something comes of it from a from a, a settlement standpoint um before we get to dubs and L's, let's hit these uh, college basketball coaching news. So more so from the men's side, I don't think there have been as many firings on the women's side. I think there have been, but not a lot. And a number of these happened during the season on the women's side. Um, real quick, 
I did see an article for the women's side talking about Lindsay Whalen and her re- resignation and some of the names they had for um, at least this is from, I think, SB, what SB World or whatever. Um, some of the names were a little outrageous. I mean, like Tammy Reese, which I'm going, come on, guys. She just re-upped at Rhode Island. I don't think she's going anywhere. She just won and actually correct myself from a couple shows ago. She just won her second coach of the year in the A-10, second in three years. So not back to back, second in three years. So correct that. Also, Jerry Stackhouse was co-SEC coach of the year along with uh, Buzz Williams in the SEC on the men's side. Congratulations to him. I mean, Vanderbilt, it was looking a little ugly, but they are really moving in the right direction with Jerry Stackhouse. And, um, well, I'll just say this. Jerry, if he keeps doing what he's doing, um, some opportunities will probably come his way. Um, UNC lost that game to Virginia last night, and they're – NCAA hopes are not looking very good and I'm sure that the fan base is really 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 unhappy right now and I don't want Hubert Davis to go anywhere I am so glad he got that job but they got a lot of work doing Chapel Hill you hope maybe there's a possibility they can slide in but right now they are their bubble is looking very very fragile right now so at best they're probably going to NIT there's a slim outside chance that they're going to UNC. So I brought that up to say, you know, Stackhouse is doing great things at Vanderbilt. God forbid if UNC, I mean, not now, but if it doesn't start to get better, you the fan base is going to be very unhappy. And then the question is, if not Hubert Davis, the question I always ask, if not Blink, then who? So same thing. If not Hubert Davis, then who? And you, we'll see. But you, know, you never know. Stackhouse, I hope he stays in Nashville for a while because he's really – Got that Vanderbilt team going in the right direction. Anyway, let's go to the actual real news that's happening in, in men's college basketball. Um, Patrick Ewing, as expected, is out of Georgetown. Six years, he went 75 and 109. Um, this season, 7 and 25 and 2 and 18 in the Big East. They had a 29 game conference losing streak that started back in 2021 and they broke it back in January. Um, the only highlight here was they went to the NCAA tournament in 2021. They had that magical three-game run through the Big East tournament or four-game run um, from day one to the end, won the thing, went to the first round of the NCAA tournament, got the doors blown off. Um, over the last two years, 2-37 and 37 in the conference. I mean, just absolutely abysmal. Um, it's hard to say where it went wrong. I'm sure a lot of insiders have a lot of ideas, but we know that the transfer portal out of Georgetown has been really active over the last few years. So they can't, they couldn't keep a lot of guys. They, uh, I think there were some recruits that were kind of iffy about going. So I, it's it's just really, really hard to say where it went wrong. And, and I've said this before that you, you hate to see it. I mean, again, he it seemed like he would be the natural fit considering, you know, he is there probably their most recognizable player and you know he spent 14 years in the pros as an assistant I mean it's not like he doesn't know the game of basketball but like what happened you know was he not relating to players was he you know was a recruit <laughs> who knows but again um so so Georgetown's out looking for a basketball coach number of candidates we've, we've mentioned a few of them before um so for example Rick Patino, who's at Iona but 
A lot of people thinking he might go to St. John's if they pull the trigger on Mike Anderson, let him go. But I really feel like Patino, he's a hot potato. I mean, I don't know if Georgetown's going to go that direction. Um, right now, the leading candidate right now is Providence's Ed Cooley. But then the question is, would Ed Cooley leave a situation that he's built? Because Providence was meh when he took over. They've been consistently good. Is he going to leave a meh situation to try to rebuild Georgetown? And the connection here is that he had a very close relationship with the late John Thompson. So they were, you know, really you know, good friends. And a lot of people think that he would make a nice natural fit at Georgetown. So you go from one uh, small private Catholic college to another Catholic college. So at least they got that in common. But I've talked about Mike Bray, um, James Jones from Yale, I think would you know be a good candidate or someone who's been mentioned Kevin Key to NC State so he was at UNC Wilmington he came to state he's turned state around states have state is actually having a good better season this year didn't look so good to start but they're actually uh, looking a little bit better I think they play UVA tonight in the ACC tournament um, Micah Shrewsbury at Penn State he's also kind of uh, in the running or at least been mentioned for the Notre Dame job Shrewsbury He's a good coach. I think he's getting Penn State turned in the right direction, but I don't think it's the right time for him, at least to maybe bump up to a a more uh, high-level Power 5 job. Um, over the last few games, though, that Penn State team's been playing some good basketball, um, but I don't know. I mean, Shrewsbury right now might be suffering from I'm the hot name, so schools have to really be cautious about seeing a guy and going well the record is okay but man he's hot right now let's hire that guy i don't know um i don't know i'm something about mike bray is talking to me but it's either gonna be mike bray ed cooley jeff capel's name's come up i mean capel got a second life with this season at Pitt. he's not going anywhere but i don't know would he jump ship thinking that maybe it's a fresh start and, and Capel, one thing I will say about this, Capel is good at turning programs around. So maybe Capel takes the leap of faith if they call him and he runs to Georgetown. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Mark Fox is out of Cal after four years. He went 39, 38 and 89 and 761 in the Pac-12. This season, they went 3 and 29 and 2 and 18 in the Pac-12. So there's some local west coast candidates who are who have been mentioned for the uh the cal job so we'll see how that goes now some good news jared haas will be back at stanford next season so he's been there seven years he'll return for eighth so this season 14 and 19 7 13 the pac 12 this is the fifth straight season that stanford has been under 500 and now his record over seven years is actually not terrible. He's 112 and 109. So he's three games over 500 for his career. So at least in this point, he's kind of got more wins than losses. What we're seeing here is, you know, obviously coaches getting canned that they've got way more losses than wins, but he's actually above 500, not too far, but far enough. So uh, Bernard Muir, uh, the AD at Stanford said he's coming back. So a couple things to think about with Stanford. They've got Four of their five starters returning. Of those four, they're either sophomores or juniors. And they've got two ESPN Top 100 recruits coming next year. So you've got returning starters. You've got some good recruits. Transfer portals, because the transfer portal was helping Stanford out a little bit this season. They've got, you know, they had some guys come in who, 
you know, kind of got them jump started. They started out pretty good this season, but it kind of just went, you know, you know where. So he gets one more shot at it. So if if it doesn't turn around next year for Stanford basketball, they're probably going to be looking for a head coach for Jared Hoskins. One more shot at it. All right. All right. So uh, I think I got everything. Let's get to dubs and L's. So dubs and L's. So a couple dubs and actually two L's, one dub this week. We'll start with the L. So first L goes to, well, not two, but it goes to that situation that happened at the University of Miami with the women's basketball team. So if you recall, Katie Meyer, towards the beginning of the season, was suspended, I think, two or three games. And it came to light that she was suspended for some NIL, for NIL situation. So the Cavender twins, they transferred from Fresno State to Miami. And during their transfer time, they met with, and now here's where it gets weird. Prior to them initially, prior to them committing, so officially committing to Miami, they met with a booster who eventually gave them an NIL deal, deal, big NIL deal. Because I think they're they've got lots of followers on Instagram. They're super popular. You know, I think you know they're pretty. Their numbers at Fresno State were pretty good. And so the the story I read was someone texted Coach Meyer and said, "Hey." We understand that the Cavender twins are thinking about coming to Miami. We'd like to we like to meet with them. So she texted the person back and said, hey, that's cool. We can do that. Now, I think in of it, in and of itself, that was wrong. So, boom. But the other piece of that was the meeting had already happened. So right hand, not talking to the left hand. And, I, you, you know, I don't really... As I thought about it, initially, I was going to be like, I feel like she got dragged into this and she sort of did. The re- the replying to the text was kind of like, oh, that was not a good look. So the whole situation is a lot of L's to begin with. I don't really fault Coach Meyer because when she was suspended, everyone was shocked because they've said in the many years she's been in basketball, she has run one of the te- cleanest programs, top notch. She follows the rules. And people were just surprised. And so I think this was kind of a bad situation, but I think she sort of kind of got pulled into it in a way that tarnished her in some way. I don't think she's, you know, I don't think she's fully, fully like tarnished, but it it, it, it just made it look bad. And I feel bad for her because, you know, you've got this booster who then comes in once the word got out that, you know, this is what happened, that it was released. Then he complains, well, why is this a problem? You know, um, I, you know, I was doing, you know, I was trying to help these young ladies out. I don't see what the big deal is. Like, dude, follow the rules. You cannot talk to these young ladies until they sign on the dotted line. It's like recruiting. You can't go talk to a a football recruit or a basketball recruit until they sign on the dotted line. The rules for transfer and recruiting are the same. So I kind of feel like she got dragged down with this guy who has all this money and just wants to be like, well, what are the rules? I don't care. I have the money. I'm trying to make this happen. So it's not an L for her, just L for the situation and the fact that it came down on her at the end. And it's unfortunate. But, you know, again, she's always been a good coach. I don't think this super tarnishes her reputation, but it kind of can play into the argument that many people have that, um, NIL is a bad thing. And I think NIL is slowly forming itself to be better uh, with the new NCAA president coming in. 
he's already, I think Charlie Baker, he's already talked about this idea that we've got to get NIL, we've got to get all the pieces situated and straightened out, and we've got to have clear, defined rules and regulations. I mean, there, there are some in place, but I think there's still some gray areas that really need to be addressed and it needs to be uniform because as you remember, NIL is state by state right now. Um, once they start to take that patchwork and piece it together and get all the rules uniform across the board, I think that I think it'll be much better. There'll be clearer uh, guidelines, not to say that no one's going to violate those guidelines, but I think it gets better across the board once everybody's together on the same page. So unfortunate situation for Coach Meyer, but I mean, I just think it was really not, you know, I it, it, it just it, it was just unfortunate she got dragged into it. My other L goes to Alabama basketball player Brandon Miller. So hopefully you well not hopefully you probably saw the controversy. So first of all, he's embroiled in um, the 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 the, un, the unfortunate uh, murder of this young woman by one of his teammates. And um, so the word came out that the gun that was used, he gave it to the guy. And I think once that word came out, I think their final home game, I think against Auburn, he comes down, you have to introduce and, you know, his whole spiel was he got patted down and um, everyone just lost it. And uh, he got lit up uh, in the media. And of course, he had to apologize. I think Nate Oates apologized. And I mean, I'm just like, first of all, let's think about this. And I know you might say the two things don't match up but let's say this we know what happened with john moran all he did was flash a gun on ig live he didn't use the gun and he's not playing why is it that this young man had this gun he gave it to the guy it was used in the commission as felony and he's not sitting we know why but that whole you know pat me down i mean that's that's just throwing salt in the wound of the victim's families and that's just that's just uncalled for that is just really a trash move and yeah, I mean, there's not much more to say to that. That was absolute trash and garbage. And yeah, I think he owes people more than an apology for that, for that really classless move. The dub this week. So this actually happened a couple weeks ago. So I actually managed to get to it now, but wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the Howard University swim team. They became the first black division one swim team on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So this happened a couple weeks ago. And their coach, he has really managed to bring in a diverse group. And I say diverse from the standpoint of from different parts of the country and different parts of the world to Howard to swim for him. And their team is very good. The word on the street is they could potentially win their conference this year. So um, hashtag black excellence. That's all I got to say about that. I mean, that is historic in and of itself. And, you know, it's interesting that for me, I always try to encourage, um, you know, you know, young black folks who are playing sports. I mean, basketball's great. Football's great. But there are other sports out there that you can play and excel at. And the thing is, it's kind of like, well, you know, you have people who go, well, we don't play those sports. Well, how do you know? Do you know your history? I'm sure somebody in you know, somebody black played this sport or did this. There are trailblazers in every sport. We just don't talk about them or or we don't think about them. But 
Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really happy to see that. I mean, Howard is doing some great stuff in swimming. They're doing some great stuff in golf. Um, you know, they're really bucking the trends here and you love to see it. So, so shout out to uh, Howard University swim team for their appearance on the on the Sports Illustrated cover. And let's hope that's not the last time. Let's get them back on the cover again. Or some of the members of that team, maybe they'll be Olympians one day. They'll grace the cover on their own. So um, just good stuff. And I love to see it. All right, everyone, man, my email is going nuts right now. My work email, for some reason, I'm willing to wager. I think that's what four beeps I heard. I'm willing to wager at least three of those emails are spam. The other one is probably nonsense. But nevertheless, thank you for listening to the Friday edition of Sports Wagon Podcast. I'm out of here. I'm going to go try to find something to do. I actually do have work to do, but is it going to get done? We'll see. I'm on spring break next week, so expect to hear from me at least a couple times next week. Maybe three. We'll see how it goes. But going to try to get some stuff, uh, some new stuff uh, in the lab for you. Try to get some guests on, talk some sports, talk some good stuff. But until I talk to you again, make sure that you hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, listen to old episodes if you're new. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to me on Spotify. My shows on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, of course, Apple, other places. I'm on a bunch of places. Um, give me a five star rating if you can. Um, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, suggest the show. Share the show with a friend. Do all the good stuff. And of course, as I always say, take care of yourself. Um, mask up, stay healthy, and always remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.